Um, yeah, so we're in the middle of a, a series in 1 Samuel. I thought what would be good to just start off with is summing up the story, like where we're at, um, just to kind of catch us up on where we are, kind of all these classic stories. Last week, we talked about David and Goliath, and uh, it's kind of like the most famous part of the story. But kind of where we're at is, is uh, David has killed Goliath, now he's this big hero, and everyone's really praising David. And so this starts to cause a little bit of conflict, right? Because Saul's king, not David. And uh, a bunch of awkward things have already happened in the past where David's been anointed to be king one day. So that's a little strange. Now the guy that was anointed to be king by the prophet Samuel is really doing an amazing job, winning over the hearts of the people. And so this is causing some tension in Saul's heart for obvious reasons. And uh, so much so that Saul, and this is what we're going to be looking at today, is Saul wants to kill David. So I titled this sermon, Saul's Killer Instinct, because uh, I think that what he's going through, we can resonate with a lot, so we'll unpack that today. But uh, yeah, so where we're at in the story is Saul says, I want to kill David because he is going to threaten my kingship, and yeah, it's getting a little awkward. So we're going to pick up, I want to read just one little part. Um, of this story that catches us up well, and it's where Jonathan, who's Saul's son, is trying desperately to understand why Saul wants to kill David. Like, this doesn't make a lot of sense. Jonathan's really close with David. They're good friends. And so Jonathan's pleading with his dad, saying, don't kill David. This makes no sense. So you can put that. uh, The verses for today will be up on the screen. This is 1 Samuel 19, verse 4. Uh, Jonathan spoke... Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, let not the king do wrong to his servant David. He has not wronged you, and what he has done has benefited you greatly. He took his life in his hands when he killed the Philistine, being Goliath that we talked about last week. The Lord won a great victory for all Israel, and you saw it and were glad. Why then would you do wrong to an innocent man like David by killing him for no reason? This is a pretty good point. (laughs) It's a really good point that Jonathan's making. And uh, what strikes me about this is that evil, it's just pure evil, it's just really illogical. It just doesn't make any sense to be evil. And so Jonathan's picking up on this, and he has the courage, which actually that's a pretty courageous thing to say. Jonathan and Saul are close, but even in that kind of king-father-son relationship, this is a bold move that he's making. Kings have a lot of power, and he's challenging something that is really, I don't know, costly to Saul. And so Jonathan's going, look, this makes no sense. This is just evil. Why would you do this? And it kind of got me thinking about this idea that the evil thoughts and desires in our heart are actually pretty illogical when we think about them. Uh, we think evil, fleshly thoughts all the time. And like, what makes them evil? I think it's because they actually do make no sense. We know that evil and all that it yields, when we deeply think about the evil thoughts in our heart, we know that it doesn't actually ever help. It doesn't accomplish anything. It might feel good, it might taste good to be evil. You know, we, we know that feeling. But in terms of its pragmatic, like, helpfulness, evil doesn't actually help any situation. It just always makes it worse. So evil's illogical. It's pretty simple. I was thinking about the, uh, okay, there's this one story that came to mind because it's camp and a bunch of people are away at camp, at camp too. And I was a camp counselor one time, and I had these two kids do evil things. Are you doing know which story I'm going to bring up? I had these two kids do the most evil things to each other. It was terrible, and it was so illogical. Um, so, you know, I don't know if you've ever been a camp counselor, but sometimes you get a whole crew of kids, and sometimes there's, like, some kids on the outside of the cabin. And you always hope that the, usually there's, like, one or two outsiders, and when there's two, you're grateful because hopefully you're hoping they connect. 
Do you know what I'm saying? The ones that weren't part of anything, and you're like, oh, I really want you guys to be friends. Uh, they turned out to be arch nemesis, like arch nemesis after this week. I'm like, guys, no, you need each other. This is important. But it just didn't work out. They just hated one another. And uh, I don't know. I, I won't use the real names. So I'll call them Bob and Larry. So Bob and Larry are, uh, are, are Bob comes up to me, and he says, he, like, I'm eating in the dining hall. <laughs> and Bob comes up to me, and he goes, uh, someone peed in all my stuff. Someone peed on all my things. And I'm just like, can you say that again? Somebody peed, and he's like, my, all my stuff's covered in urine. I'm like, what? So we go up to the, I go up, and lo and behold, it's just someone peed on all his things. Like, what is going on here? So Bob goes, I think it was Larry. I'm like, ah, she makes lots of sense. Uh, <laughs> what? So I call Larry over. I'm like, Larry, did you? And I'm like, you, the, you, the word's coming out of your mouth. Like, I can't believe I'm having this conversation. We're like, did you pee in this man's stuff? <laughs> like, this is a senior teens camp. These are 18-year-olds. Like, this is not great. <clears throat> and, uh, and he's like, yes, I did. I'm like, that makes no sense. Explain, why? Why did you do that? He's like, well, Bob filled my entire sleeping bag with all the deer poo he could find. I'm like, huh, this is the most juvenile moment I've ever experienced. And they just didn't like each other. They didn't get along, so they decided to use fecal matter to just solve the situation. And I'm like, as a counselor, you're like, oh my goodness, where do we even begin with this? And helping them apologize to one another. Okay, yeah, I need you to, you need to say, I will not pee on my camper's thing. I'm like, what is going on? And so, I don't know, it's just, there's just this innate desire to just, I don't know, I, I kind of get it. Like, they didn't like each other, and so they just think evil thoughts. So I understand, but it's so illogical when you just stop and go, this is not helping any of you. Evil is just, it doesn't make any sense, especially from a counselor's point of view. So, but this is, that's like a, that's even a revenge story, which kind of even makes a little more sense. Like, they're kind of getting back at each other. This, is, this isn't even that. This is David kills Goliath, does Saul a huge favor, and Saul wants to kill him. Like, this is even worse. Makes even less sense. I kind of get the revenge thing, to be honest. But this is even worse. So Saul's, we got to figure out, we got to figure out why Saul's doing this. So, uh, as a result of the Jonathan conversation, um, this is what happened. Saul 19, verse 6, picking up. Saul listened to Jonathan and took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be put to death. So Jonathan called David and told him the whole conversation. He brought him to Saul, and David was with Saul as before. Happy ending, right? False. Once more, war broke out, and David went out and fought the Philistines. Won some great victory again. He struck them with such a force that they fled before him. More accolades for David, right? But an evil or harmful, another word, an evil or harmful spirit from the Lord came on Saul as he was sitting in his house and with a, uh, with a spear in his hand. While David was playing the lyre, Saul... Uh, Saul tried to pin him to the wall with a spear, but David eluded him, and Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. So uh, this is an interesting, just like food for thought here, because uh, this is the thing that confused me, so I had to look it up. It said, uh, uh, David, um, where is it here? Uh, an evil spirit from the Lord came on Saul. That's interesting, hey? Evil spirit from the Lord. So just so you guys know, that's a way that the biblical authors are writing in a way to... Um, say that God is permitting an evil spirit to exist in Saul's heart, okay? God doesn't send evil spirits, but it's a, way of, it's a way of phrasing it where God's actually in control. Like God's not some, he's not 
out of control of these evil spirits that are tormenting Saul. He's permitting them. If you want to like, look into that more, just read Job. kind of explains it. But um, there's, a, there's a permission, not a sending. So that was helpful for me to know. Um, but nonetheless, there's this evil spirit that starts to torment Saul and just make him do all these illogical things. Evil spirits. So God, uh, just previously, God had, God's spirit had left Saul because of his disobedience. There's a story a little while ago where Saul, I think it was maybe the last time I preached, yeah, uh, where Saul's just disobedient and doesn't trust God. And it says in 1 Samuel 16, uh, it's not up there, but just to reference back, now the spirit of the Lord had departed for Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. So it came when he was disobedient and stopped trusting God. That's where this tormenting spirit that's causing him to want to kill David originally came from, okay? So I don't think, I think the Bible, the, the Sunday school version of this story is that Saul was jealous of David, or whatever, which is not untrue, but there's actually something deeper going on here that I think is more helpful for us. The Sunday school version of the story, which would not be wrong, and it's a great lesson, is don't be jealous of the people who are doing better than you, or whatever. It's true. But there's a lot of talk here about evil spirits tormenting Saul's soul. And that's probably actually a more interesting place to spend our time. Like, what does that mean? Uh, how does his disobedience and untrusting heart of God open him up to be tormented by this thing that makes him super illogically evil? That's a, I don't know, that's a, I can resonate with that. So uh, I think it'd be safe to say that evil spirits here and whatever it is that's tormenting him, actually uh, roam free in untrusting, unsubmitted hearts. We can make that jump. That there is this thing that's taking him over that has been given permission to kind of torment Saul as a result of his disobedience and lack of trust. So that's interesting. Um, and I started thinking, okay, what are, what are evil spirits? Like, how do they, like, the... How does that play out in our hearts? If we're disobedient and untrusting, and that, gives, and that gives permission to something to rule us and help us do evil, illogical things that don't help, how does that flesh itself out? Because I don't really, I don't know about you, but I don't think a lot about evil spirits driving my life. Like when I'm disobedient and don't trust God, I don't think about being driven towards that. Um, it's just, it just doesn't come naturally to me to go, oh, there's a, there's a, I've given permission of like an actual principality and power to take me in an evil, illogical, destructive direction. That's really powerful. And so it's not just don't be jealous. It's if you don't trust God and submit to him, you're following something else. And you're giving permission to something else. So I was kind of brainstorming of, uh, I don't know, like a little list of things that could potentially, like where do, what are the most evil thoughts, I think? Like in terms of the ones that make no sense. And uh, I'll give you a list of them. They're just kind of basic. Um, uh, thinking the worst of people. That's a, no, that's a good one. I'm just making a list. You guys can come in with your own. But the things you do that are just, you know, are evil that make no sense. So number one for me, thinking the worst of people. Just assuming the worst for some reason. Does anybody notice how easily the gravity just seems to flow to not giving people the benefit of the doubt? Assuming the worst about folks. I don't know why that feels good so, so much of the time. Another one, uh, wanting others to do poorly. How does that help you? It doesn't help you at all. But there's this, this little part of us that's like, oh, I kind of like it when someone else has a little bit of like a stumble. I, where does that come from? I don't know. It's just, 
thinking about this. Another good one, an inability to trust for no reason. Like, I won't trust you. I don't know why, I just won't. That's a huge block to relationship. And I'm starting to see all of these things that are like, oh, those are personality quirks, and I should probably think better of folks or work harder at being more positive. And I'm like, okay, trying to connect the dots here to being, okay, if I'm unsubmitted and untrusting, how, how does this give, what am I actually giving permission uh, to turn my thoughts towards evil, illogical, destructive things? Little thought experiment. So kind of the point of discussing this for this morning is I think this evil and this, this, this darkness is the actual enemy. It's the actual enemy in this story. It's the, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very explicit in this story of what's actually driving Saul. And I'm like, oh, maybe this is us too. So the most illogical thing, the most illogical thing for me, and you can see it in Saul, you can see it in Jonathan as he's like really desperately trying to grab a hold of what's going on with, uh, with his dad. I think the most logical thing is not wanting to be liberated from our enemies. That makes no sense to Jonathan in this story. And uh, if I was to really boil down the thing that evil bubbles up in my heart the most, like where evil arrives at the most in my heart and where it plays itself out the strongest is for some illogical reason, I don't want to be set free from them. Like, I like them, and they, it's so evil, but, it, but I like it, and I don't want to be set free. And there's, 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 a, there's a part of that evil that makes sense, and uh, to me, even though it doesn't help at all. So not wanting to be liberated from our enemies. You can see why Jonathan's super confused. It's like, look, Dad, this is a really great thing that happened. What is going on in your heart? So, it's important to note here that David is, in the Bible, is a, a Christ figure, right? So, he's the, I mean, you can, if we read that first verse again, well, we won't, but basically it's saying, uh, when Jonathan's tell, talking to Saul, he says, hey, look, uh, David took his life in his hands and liberated Israel. Does that remind you of anybody? <laughs> like, David took his life in his hands, liberated Israel. Why are you so upset about this? Huge foreshadowing towards Jesus. Huge. And uh, um, I think Saul's turmoil is directly reflective of our treatment of who Jesus is, like in our lives. Saul's turmoil of going, you liberated me, and this is super good news, uh, but his mistrust of God doesn't let liberation be good news. His mistrust of God doesn't let the, uh, the salvation, it doesn't permit it. And so... I think there's tons of correlation between, um, it's directly reflective of our, of our instinct to crucify Jesus. And this is what happened to Jesus. So we can, we can, we can unpack this real quick. Paul uh, connects the dots for us in his, the first sermon in, in, in of the church. The first sermon of the church is very explicit. Acts 2.36, you can put this on. Um, this is, what, this is what Peter says. You know, when, in Pentecost, when there's a whole bunch of people and the Holy Spirit falls on them and then everyone's like, oh, you guys drunk? And then Peter's like, well, this is my big opportunity to explain what's going on to everybody. And he says, after you know, a long sermon, but his, the, kind of the punchline of his sermon is, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So he's really connecting the dots here for us of going, okay, um, Jesus is our liberator. 
and you crucified him, of going, look, the evil in your heart is in direct opposition to your salvation and to your liberation. It's a very strong message to go, you crucified your liberator. <laughs> it's bold. It's really bold. And I think we have an instinct to do this. There's something in us that we have an instinct to go, a killer instinct, I guess, to use, the, to use that term, of going, um, uh, I don't want to submit to you. I don't want a king. I don't want a ruler. And, it's, and we say that out loud because of how loving and amazing Jesus is. And we know, we know it. Like you've been to church a bunch, you're like, wow, that sounds like super good news. And then day to day, my instinct goes, no, I don't want you. And so I've lived in this tension a lot in my life. Okay, I was a Christian kid growing up like this. I'm like, why is my understanding, why is my understanding of Jesus, it's like, I have a pretty good understanding of who he is. I have experiences of who he is. I have stories. I have sensations. I have feelings. I have success stories, failures. Like I've really met, like I know, I know who Jesus is. And then over here, uh, in day-to-day decisions, I make illogical, evil decisions to be unsubmitted to him every day. Like, what is that? And, and um, my, my brain tries to go, this is what my brain does. It goes, okay, uh, I don't know enough about that. I need a few more experiences. I need, I, I need him to liberate me more and kill a few more Goliaths and blah, blah, blah. That's what my brain does. Or I beat on myself and go, oh, I need to understand. I don't know. I do other things. As I'm reading this story, as I'm going, Saul was tormented. Like, he was tormented by something that he gave permission to actually rule and lead his life. Because he didn't trust God. He didn't submit to him. He submitted to his own self-rule. And then there's this chasm between what we know to be true and what we act on that I think is actually only bridged by what Peter concludes his sermon with by going, repent and believe. Like, repent of your own self-rule. Repent of this illogical, and then in repentance, Jesus fulfills the salvation, he's enough, he's, he has the power to drive out that stuff, and all of a sudden that, that gap is not made up by more understanding. It's, it's an illogical gap where you go, I actually have to submit to you and release something to you, and then you take me over that thing. So, I, uh, uh, my lack of submission to who God is gives me this killer instinct of going that, that, uh, I don't want that because of what, what I've been, what I've given to who, because of who I've given permission to lead my life, namely me, but I think we trick ourselves, and I do this all the time, I trick myself into thinking that me leading my life is me leading my life. <laughs> Does that make sense? Me leading my life is not me. I don't mean to be spooky about this, but it is a little spooky. And Matthew, oh, I'm going to forget where. Um, I think it's Matthew 16. Jesus is very explicit about, like, if you're not with me, you're against me. You know that, remember that story where he goes, like, how can you, how can you, um, how can you loot a man's house without tying up the strong man first? Do you remember this story where he goes, if you want to, um, yeah, you have to tie up the strong man. And I think one of the things that we've really tricked ourselves into in Western, Western Christianity, especially, is this idea that self-rule is self-rule, <laughs> I think we give permission to all sorts of things. Not to be hocus pocus, but uh, there's, a battle is not against flesh and blood. And so don't be so arrogant to think that 
you rejecting God's leadership is actually just exalting your own. I don't think it's that simple. Your own leadership gives permission to something else. It's important to know because then you actually have something to swing at. This is really important. This is not just like a random side tangent of going, oh yeah, we're gonna talk about evil spirits today because that'd be fun. It's like, no, this is, this is liberation because Jesus is stronger than those things and he can drive those things out. And when you give him authority, it, it's, it's not up to you. It's like, a, it's like a, a yielding. It's not a try hard. So we don't, I don't mean to over-spiritualize stuff, but at the same time, it's like, let's make sure that we're knowing which battle we're fighting here so that we don't think that we're somehow climbing back to something. It's very important. It's not, be less jealous of David. It's like, no, admit what you've given permission to do. And then it drives you into all sorts of craziness. Okay, let's make this a little more practical for us. Um, Jesus slash David, they're just coming to bless, hey? Have you noticed David's actually not trying to assert himself as king yet at all? in this story, and he's actually pretty reluctant to be anointed in some ways, and Saul feels threatened. He's not even trying to be king. <laughs> Jesus is the same. Jesus doesn't come on the scene in this super like triumphant, I'm here to take over. He just can't, comes to serve. He just comes to serve. And his big pitch to you and I of how we submit to him is he just says, come follow me. That's his big thing. So I wanna dwell on that. If we're talking about, okay, so what does it actually look like to submit to who he is and to say, I'm going to trust you. I don't want to give permission to anything else. I, you're leading my life. Well, it's very explicit. He just says, come follow me. Come follow me into all that I am and all that I do. It's really explicit. And then he does this crazy thing. Uh, oh, well, it's important to say, come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. So this plan doesn't actually make a lot of sense for us a lot of the time. And uh, Braden did an amazing job of summing this up. He's just like, it's better. You know, when Braden was saying it's better, I just love how simple that is. This is what Jesus' big invitation to you is today. It's like, hey, this is better. Come follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. This is his big solution to setting you free from these principalities and powers that rule us instead. Come follow me. There's only two options. So uh, it gets a little troubling for me because he invites us to do the same. He invites us to go make disciples. In fact, he gives us the exact same mandate so this is where the rubber kind of meets the road for me a little bit, is um, this is all well and good. Uh, I'll speak personally vulnerably here for a minute, but I, I think that Jesus invites us to say, come follow me as well. Do you know what I'm saying? Like when we're making disciples and we're leading people and we're loving people, he actually goes, hey, come follow me. So you know what happened to Jesus when he said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men? They killed him because they didn't like the plan. This wasn't the plan for the salvation of Israel, right? And they killed him for it. And then I kind of just connected these dots like yesterday. I'm like, oh, he invites us to share the same message. And I think we really avoid uh, making disciples because I don't, I don't want to be crucified by the people I'm trying to lead. I don't want to be hated. I don't want to stand in opposition to that. And... Uh, and so I'm going, okay, shoot. Um, I am supposed to go make disciples in the same way that you did. And one of the things that really holds me back is I'm not sure that I'm confident sometimes. I'm not sure that I'm confident in going, Jesus is our actual liberator. Come follow me is the plan. And so I don't have a better option than that. Like I don't have a way, I don't have another way 
to set you free, disciple, from your bondage. I don't have another one. And it's amazing how much we can, church we can do without ever confronting that. Have you ever noticed how much you can do without never actually having to go there? You can dance for a really long time. At the end of the day, um, Jesus came to be our liberator, which directly confronts our killer instinct and sets us free from the things that we can't control. And so uh, I, I want to I I uh, give you an encouragement, a really practical encouragement today. Jesus says, come follow me. That's great. And we read it in scripture. And then now he has this church also saying that to society. Not, not come follow me as a person, but like come follow Jesus, right? But in, in some ways, it's like come follow me into something. Um, if you have somebody in your life saying come follow me into something difficult that needs the gospel and needs Jesus' power, be very wary of saying no to that. Be very wary of not following, dare I say, that person. Dare I say, that situation. It is a huge gift for someone to, to say to you, uh, do you want to come with me in the only plan that I think works? That's huge. And I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what the structures are. Barely care. But at the end of the day, the church is the, is the, is the people of God going, I'm confident and Jesus being our king, that's what holds this whole thing together. And so would, do, you wanna, do you wanna live like that with me? And if somebody's saying that to you in your life, just, I don't know, wrestle with it. That is a huge gift. It is a huge gift. And, um, and if you feel like you're supposed to start saying things like that, like, you know what? Do you wanna come with me in this crazy plan that makes no sense? Do you want to come with me in this crazy plan that needs God, that needs, um, that actually sets us free from ourselves? It doesn't fully make sense, and that's kind of the point. Do you want to come with me? It's huge. Um, uh, <laughs> sometimes, uh, so we, on the campus team, it's great. We look at each other, and, um, and we have like moments where you, we, you, we walk with people and help them find Jesus and follow Jesus. And what happens is there's a rub that comes at some point, right? And you go, okay, this is what discipleship is. It's like, what's what Braden was talking about. It's like, come lay down your life. And this is the best news ever. And you have a big smile on your face because you get set free from yourself. And you try to go up at the end of all your sentences because, you know, it's just helpful or whatever. Uh, even though it's really actually quite a tension-filled moment, what's nuts is that um, people just say no, mostly. And so we, it's really funny. Um, I'll brag on, I'll brag on John, Jonathan Hurst for a second. He was like, he's like, I was walking with this guy for a long time and I just, I did it perfectly. It, you know, like I'm a missionary and it was perfect. Like the perfect amount of relationship with the perfect amount of tension with the perfect gospel presentation with the, oh, I don't know. He did it perfectly. And then he's like, he doesn't want Jesus. And I'm like, dad, it's an option. It's one of the options that they have. Congratulations on giving him the opportunity, you know? And uh, I don't know. I don't have a better plan. So we look at each other and like, all right, well, do you guys want to do, do a different thing? <laughs> do you want to do something else? Do you want to not make disciples? That'd be pretty easy, actually. Um, it'd be really easy. But I don't, I don't have a better plan if we're talking about liberation. Liberation from the powers that rule this world that drive us into evil, logical things. 
I don't have a better one. So uh, something we say a lot is this church's growth is 100% incumbent on your obedience, right? Like we, we're not trying to grow in another way besides your obedience to whatever God's called you to do. We're not trying. Sometimes it happens, great. But that's not what we talk about in staff meetings. Uh, we talk about how do we help our people f- f- trust and follow and obey Jesus. Just as much because I think it's a better way to grow so that people can actually have a chance of hearing about him. That's handy. Also, I think it liberates us. Yeah, also, what, what, what gave this evil spirit permission to torment Saul was his lack of trust and obedience in God's plan and what he wanted. I'm like, oh, well then that's what we have to do for all our people. <laughs> that, what else are we going to do for you? So that's why we talk about that a lot. And that's why we talk about obedience a ton. Because it's liberation. So I want to read the end of Paul's sermon here. It says this. Uh, when the people heard this, the whole, you crucified Jesus message, super bold. Um, this, is what, uh, this is what happened. Acts 2, verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is in replacement of the other thing that would rule you. The, pro- this, the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off. For, uh, for, all, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Uh, I love verse 40 and it kind of stood out to me uh, as I was reading this again. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them. Has anybody kind of read that? I, don't, I just I didn't notice this. Pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. He's pleading with them, being like, save yourselves, repent and be baptized. And I kind of feel the same like this morning. Not in some elitist way, in some preaching to myself. Be like, can I plead with you? Like, can I plead with you? to obey whatever God would have in front of you, no matter how scary it is. I'm like pleading with you. Save yourselves is a crazy thing to say. You know what I mean? We don't talk about those kind of sentences a lot in church today because it's kind of like, oh, are we saving ourselves? I don't know. Peter says it in his sermon. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. This is a big deal. And the, so that's a big deal. But then the other thing that I wanted to point out to you is that I don't know about you, but when I read this, like I hear so much love in Peter's voice. Like, don't you? Like, he just, I feel like he'd be just overwhelmed with love for these people and overwhelmed with compassion, like pleaded and with many words. And I don't hear a salesman, I don't hear a salesman trying to convince people of something that makes sense. I hear a pastor, which is the heart of Peter, by the way, like his big journey is into a pastor. It's kind of fun. We don't have time to go there today, but Peter was the pastor of the, of the disciples. And he turned from, his, he has this really cool journey where he, he goes from being a fisherman where he just like as a fisher and it's about like big numbers and he goes on this crazy journey over his time with Jesus to being a shepherd and at the end Jesus is like feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep and he has this really neat trajectory of being this cold guy, you know, this cold passionate guy of just wanting more people to, I don't know, this fisherman standpoint all the way to like, do you love me? Feed my sheep. This is what, this is, that's what would have happened to Peter not long before he preached this message and he's pleading with his people, being like, save yourselves. I just hear love in his voice. So, um, just to conclude, uh, I think that 
God would love you so much this morning to invite you to trust him in some new way and to give him permission to love and lead you. And I know that's a little cliche, but I, we don't have a better plan. And I don't want my killer instinct to, uh, he's just, Jesus is just better. He deserves better than that. He just gave us everything. And he loves us so much. And I refuse, I refuse to keep crucifying him for the sake of my own something. And, uh, and he would be so kind to invite us to follow him. I'm just so blown away. So I want to pray for us in this regard. And worship team, you guys can come up. <clears throat> Lord, uh, thank you for how tenacious you are of setting us free from things. Thank you that you just can't stand the fact that we'd be in bondage to something illogical and confusing and destructive. You just can't handle it. And I ask that you would uh, give us the ability to trust you this morning. And would we, see, would we see your love in that? Would we see your love? I thank you for this message, this, 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 this old sermon that Peter preached of just saying, uh, you're king and you're good. And Father, I pray that you would now, like by your spirit, plead with our hearts to relinquish control to you in some practical way. I uh, just get this, you're pleading. You're pleading with us with many words this morning, many, many words. And you're just so after our hearts. And as we sang earlier, we just wanna be where you are. We just wanna be where you are, whatever that takes. So thank you for this message. And when you set us free, would you set us free from these things that we can't set ourselves free from? Thank you for your salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.